Hey, Three Crosses family, welcome back to the Going Deeper podcast. Pastor AJ here. I oversee life groups and discipleship. Today, we are closing out the You're Invited series to talk about You're Invited to Explore God. We're in John 4 today, and we got a lot to talk about, and so we're excited to have a conversation. And so with that, let's go deeper. Joining us to round out the You're Invited series is Pastor Danny Strange. Pastor Danny, welcome back to the hot seat and uh, great job on the You're Invited series. Oh, thanks so much. It's been a really fun series. I've gotten so much feedback from folks who loved some of the guest speakers we brought in, but also the podcast episodes. I've gotten a lot of comments about the mega episode with (laughs) Carl and Hannah and everybody. And um, so it's been really fun to explore some topics about what it means to take our faith into the real world. So yeah, it's been great. It's definitely sparked a lot of thoughts uh, about how do we take our faith into our communities. And uh, man, we have a powerful message in John 4, uh, the woman at the well. I was so, I'm so thankful for this podcast because we had a, a Celebrate New Life uh, so Sunday. And so baptisms, child dedications, which means I only have time to do like the wrap up of, <laughs> right. hey, let's talk about John 4 for 15, 20 minutes. And so there's so much on the cutting room floor (laughs) that I'm so thankful our church has a podcast to pick those scraps back up again, because there's a lot of meat left on those bones. Oh, yeah. So let's dive right in. Uh, I'm going to be doing probably a lot of reading, and uh, I'll try to ask the questions quick because we got a lot to get to. So John chapter four, verses one through six. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So clearly John is going out of his way to set up the scene here uh, for the woman at the well. Um, But there are some interesting things about this. So one, the key passage that you pointed out to on Sunday, he had to go through Samaria. And there was a lot of importance about the Samaritans at that time. And then it seems like John has water on the mind, right? So he's talking about baptisms and all that's going on. And then uh, we get this mysterious thing called Jacob's well. So Pastor Danny, could you help us set the scene for John 4? And uh, where is this Samaritan? Where is Samaria? What is Jacob's well? Why is John setting the scene in this way? It's so interesting because there are so many symbols and terms and concepts that are all adjacent to amazing biblical truths going on here, right? (laughs) Samaria, I think part of the reason it's important to study the Bible in its context is because if you were just a random person and you were reading John 4 and it said now Jesus had to go through Samaria, you wouldn't notice anything. Or, oh, he had to. You might look at a map and be like, oh, he was going from Galilee to Jerusalem, <laughs> vice versa. You got to right. go. It's right in the middle. But but what you have to know is that no Jewish person would ever go through Samaria. It was an area that that they hated the Samaritans so much, they would take an extra day or whatever it was to circumvent that country. No one would go through Samaria. So I almost read 
John saying he had to go through Samaria. Like, of course he had to go through Samaria, right? <laughs> like who goes through Samaria? But Jesus had to go through Samaria to meet this woman at a well. So like you said, water is a huge symbolism. We're talking about baptism. Jesus is talking about living water. They're meeting at a well. John uses this concept of water a lot to talk about new birth, the spirit, spiritual birth. These concepts are percolating here. And then Jacob's well is adjacent to some beautiful symbolism as well. Uh, we know Jacob's well is not literally where Jacob met his wife, Rachel, at the well in Genesis 29 or whatever that was. Um, but there's some symbolism there about Jacob and wells and water in the Old Testament. It's all happening at once. It's all converging on this story. So I can't wait to talk more about it. Yeah. And one of the fascinating things about the well scene is that usually it's a foreigner coming and there's a meeting and it's usually a man and a woman and they're looking to be betrothed. So I'm thinking of uh, Isaac and Rebecca. I'm thinking of Jacob and Rachel. They uh, are married there. And so with that sense, you come into verse seven and you see Jesus approaching a well and you're like excited. Okay. Is there going to be a woman here? What's this woman going to be like? And it says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Parentheses here. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Let's keep that in our back pockets. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Parentheses for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So it's fascinating. You know, this is supposed to be the big moment and we're just subverted expectations. You get the Samaritan woman, you get um, an interesting answer from Jesus here. If you think about it, you know, uh, so many, so often in Genesis 29 and 24, it's all about who is the one that's going to draw out the water? Who is going to be the person and usually it's the, the person that is maybe subservient to the, the person receiving it. And so Jesus says, man, if you would have just asked me, I would have taken that water to you. And it's, so it's like the Lord, the second person of the Trinity saying he's going to take the water to this woman, the Samaritan woman. So, so what is going on with this interaction, this initial interaction between the Samaritan woman and Jesus? I feel like this is one of those passages that would short circuit the brains of the audience at the time. Kind of like the Good Samaritan parable, right, where Jesus tells this story that at first sight just seems like a normal story, right? This person is sick on the side of the road and no one will help him, but then a, a compassionate Samaritan man comes and helps him. Like it's a beautiful story, but if you're in the first century Jewish audience, it's like your brain is short circuited, like a Samaritan man can't help him. We hate them. And I feel like even more than that, John chapter four, the story of the woman at the well is a short circuit story because like you said, it it's just dripping with Old Testament symbolism, right? When, like you said, at a well, you think of these stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's family meeting their wives at the well. And the story parallels those stories in so many ways, right? You think about the story of Isaac meeting Rebecca, where he goes to the well and he's been praying that whoever he asks for water and says, will you give me some water would say yes. And let me water your camels too. And Jesus starts this by asking this woman for water. It seems like it's the Isaac story all over again, but it's also the Jacob story because in the Jacob story, we have John pointing out that it's Jacob's well. And even though it's not the same well, now we're thinking about Jacob. And in Jacob's story, he shows up at the well. And then Rachel comes 
in the heat of the day, which in Genesis, Moses points out is not normally when people come to the well, just like the Samaritan woman is coming to the well in the heat of the day. It's the Jacob story all over again. And yet the most important thing in the Isaac story and the Jacob story is the epiphany moment of when the patriarch realizes, wow, you are one of God's people. There's this, you're one of my family, you're Laban's daughter, right? I can't believe we're related. We're from the same kinship. But that is the most remarkable detail of the John 4 story is this Samaritan woman is not part of the lineage wow. of God's people. Right. And she brings it out. What, what are you talking to me for? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. It's short circuiting her brain. Even later <laughs> when she says, right. don't you remember you believe that you worship on this mountain? We worship on that mountain. We're too different. This is not one of those stories. You do not associate with people like me. And so at simultaneously, it's a story that's drawing out a relational covenant connection from the Old Testament, but it short circuits that because Jews are not supposed to associate with Samaritans. And like you said, it ends with the second person of the Trinity taking a new posture and saying, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to offer you water. And even more than that, offering living water to someone outside of the boundaries of the people of Israel. We'll pick it up in verse 11. It says, uh, the woman responding to Jesus saying, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so it's funny, I can imagine this back and forth going on between the woman at the well and Jesus. There's nobody's drawn water yet. They're still having this dialogue back and forth. And uh, Jesus starts to point to something a little bit deeper going on. So, hey, this water right here, people will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water I will give them will never thirst. This, this spring of water welling up to eternal life, this, this water metaphor is so strong in the book of John and, you know, throughout the, the old Testament as well, because John is drawing from the Hebrew scripture. So I was wondering if we could pause on this water analogy, what is Jesus trying to do by pointing to this well and then pointing to this water that will never lead to thirst again. What is this water motif found throughout the scriptures? Yeah, that, that phrase living water comes out in this passage. And I think one thing that's important to know at a literal level is that living water in, in the language uh, most of the time just represents moving water. So it's, you know, it's a river instead of a stagnant well, right? So a better kind of water and an alternate water source. So like, for example, in the second century, the church fathers would say that, that the best way to baptize someone is in living water, which means like in a river, a moving water source. And so on one hand, he's just saying, hey, I've got an alternate source of water to offer you. And she's confused, but then thinking, what are you doing here? What are you, what are you talking about? And <laughs> are you trying to say, right? She's still stuck in this Jewish Samaritan world. Are you saying that? you have access to better water than us because you're from <laughs> Israel, right? Like what is happening, right? Uh, 
And yet Jesus is saying, I'm offering you an alternate water source, a better water source, but he's also escalating it to say, as the Messiah, which she finds out later, he's the prophet, and later he's the Messiah. Uh, he He's turning the corner to say, hey, there's something I can give you that's better than this. And he's using this concept, like he does in communion with bread and wine, and he takes this concept and makes it about his body and blood. He looks at water and says, hey, water is something you need to survive. And if you're going to die in the wilderness, you're probably going to die of thirst before hunger, right? You can only last a certain amount of days before water. Humans need water to survive. And so this woman has to come every single day out to the well to get water to survive. And Jesus is saying, I have something for you that you need more than water. And I have it for you in a way that you're not going to have to come after it again and again and again. I have something for you. We know later it's the spirit of God that can live inside of you and give you and quench your eternal thirst and give you everlasting life without you having to come back to the well ever again. And so he he's turning the corner from a physical conversation to a spiritual conversation. But at the same time, all the confusion and mind-blowingness of this interaction is clouding her thoughts of what's going on as Jesus is using some of this uh, symbolic language. Yeah, it's interesting because the chapters preceding John 4, is we have uh, Jesus turning water into wine and then uh, the Nicodemus conversation where yes. it's all about the, the spirit and water, this mysterious saying that uh, Jesus says to Nicodemus. So, Either John was really thirsty or... <laughs> yeah, exactly. The or, sim- I mean, John, if you study the book of John, it's like all about light and darkness, all about water, all about these really elemental symbols that he notices in the ministry of Jesus all symbolize the, a new type of life, a new type of birth being born, like you said, in Nicodemus of the water, um, uh, the water in the spirit. So we mentioned baptism at the top and we just got off of celebrating uh, new life. We had our celebrate new life service where we engaged in baptism. So what does water uh, mean in that symbol? And the symbol, especially the baptism of John the Baptist, which is kind of the context, right? This is where Jesus is getting in trouble. His disciples are baptizing more disciples or more people than John the Baptist disciples uh, was a baptism of repentance. And so water was this symbol of washing sins away. They'd come into the water and they'd repent of their sin. And John the Baptist would tell them what to do. They'd say, okay, let's do it. He'd baptize them. They'd come out of the water. New life has emerged, right? And as Jesus progresses in his ministry, baptism moves from a symbol of like a fresh start to a symbol of new birth. And so we do see that as we move into that Nicodemus story of the water symbolizing a a second birth in the midst of life. So coming out of the water of baptism is a symbol showing almost like you're coming out of the womb again and you don't just have a second chance chance at life, but a newness of life, a second birth has come into your life. And so there's this context in this passage that Jesus is the one who offers a new birth in the midst of this life that that is a spiritual birth that will never result in death. And he picks up some of these symbols, even as he's talking about what he offers to this woman is a type of life that will never be quenched, will never result in death. You will never be thirsty again. And that's what we see here in verse 15. The woman desiring this water says to Jesus, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. To which Jesus responds, go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband what you have just said is quite true. And if you're following the conversation, it seems a little random and, you know, talking about husbands and wives here. Um, but 
the beautiful thing is the, the context kind of allows for that to happen since we're already have in mind this uh, Jacob's well analogy. Um, and what's interesting is a lot of people have immediately jumped to prostitution here and just said like, hey, um, you have five husbands, so that must mean she's sleeping around. She's coming in at noon. So like she's already been ostracized because the way she's living, the text really doesn't tell us what this girl is going through, this woman. And, uh, you know, there, it could have equally been, Hey, she got abused by five different people. So there's a lot of mystery going on. And yet this whole scene is embedded into this well analogy. And it just got me thinking about how, um, even in the new Testament later on, it talks about Jesus being the bridegroom and the church being the bride. And so what is this analogy of husband and wife and, and uh, you know, this marriage powerful imagery lend to the story here of the woman at the well? It's interesting. I, you wonder why is he saying, go get your husband and come back? And I think the result of that conversation is she realizes he's a prophet because he knows things about her life. But yeah, it does feel like kind of out of the blue and that the two most logical ways just at a glance to understand why he's asking this question next would be one in this context, it almost feels like he's trying to sell her something, right? Where <laughs> she's like, okay, fine. Give me this water. I'll buy it. Right. You're this water salesman. You've got this special water and maybe, Hey, in that, in that context, women weren't allowed to sign contracts. So he's saying, well, get your husband and come sign this contract for the special water I sell. Right. Or like you mentioned in the woman at the well motif throughout the scriptures, there's a little bit of this idea of um, there's a subtext of, relational covenant happening here where what's supposed to happen next in the woman at the well story is once she agrees to exchange water with this person, now they move into covenant marriage relationship, hmm. right? Rebecca marries Isaac after giving him water. Rachel marries Jacob eventually after starting with this watering moment. And so really a logical question as they move towards covenant marriage relationship would be, are you already married to anyone else? Well, go get your husband, right? We even think, sometimes I think about the, you know, woman at the well scene, almost like it's a dating scene in our day. And it's like that question of, well, hey, why don't you go get your boyfriend and see what he thinks about that? And the answer, <laughs> I don't have a boyfriend, is kind of how it's people like navigate, open door are right you there. single yeah. or not, right? <laughs> and so we know Jesus is not hitting on this woman. But at the same time, is she thinking that's what he's trying to do? What is happening here? And like you said, some people say, oh, well, she must be a, a prostitute or someone who's sleeping with all these people. I do push back a little bit on that interpretation, even because of how the story ends, where she goes back into town and she says, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? I feel like if the prostitution story was the story, the answer of the people in town would say, anyone can tell you everything you've ever done. Like right, this is your right. reputation, right? So obviously he's saying some things about her that is not completely publicly known. And so there's something mysterious happening here. And so I don't think Jesus is hitting on the woman at the well. I don't know if she even has any idea what's happening here because it's such a confusing story. But as we follow it kind of at a 10,000 foot level, what we see is Jesus starting to kind of close the deal on spiritual life and offering it. And she invite, he invites a conversation about her spouse that she feels like is a shameful thing about her, right? And most likely in that culture, if she's been married several times, it's because she's been abandoned by all these different men and left for dead in a sense. And yet Jesus is not phased by that. Instead, 
that does not change at all what he's offering to her. It's a, it's a word of encouragement. And so um, Jesus is drawing out, yes, you are a sinner. Yes, there's no reason we should talk. Yes, you generally are someone that a person like me would never talk to, but hey, I'm talking to you anyway, and my offer stands, and what I'm offering you is not what these other men have offered you. What I'm offering you is a covenant with God through my work on your behalf that we'll well up for eternal life. I'm offering you something better than any human could ever offer you. And so Jesus' offer is greater and better than she could ever imagine, even as she's trying to wrap her mind around it. And yet she begins to discover, okay, this guy is on a different plane. Mm -hmm. He must be some sort of prophetic figure as I'm talking to him. And that's exactly where the woman goes. The woman says, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors <laughs> worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Again, sort of a sidetracking story, what it seems like. And Jesus responds, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. I want to take this from the skeptical lens. I don't have a skeptic question, but I have the okay, skeptical okay. lens. Right, skeptical lens question. <laughs> um, I was wondering when I was reading this, as a skeptic, it feels like Jesus has bypassed any basic needs going on and he has gone straight to the spiritual conversation. And it made me think of this because over the course of this You're Invited series, we've been talking about how do we navigate these conversations where we start with like people's names and maybe meeting a basic need, going over to your neighbor's house and you know giving them eggs or whatever it is to then having them at your living room and having deeper conversations. And yet it seems like Jesus has kind of worked his way into these conversations where they're starting to talk about where people worship. And so I'm wondering, based on the whole You're Invited series that we've been talking about, what can we learn in this trajectory of the conversation that Jesus has had with this Samaritan woman to draw out these faith questions? On one hand, he draws out the faith questions. On the other hand, he just like goes all for it. Right. Um, and it's, you know, I think what, what we need to realize is, you know, this woman's coming to the well to get water and he's like, hey, I actually have something better for you. He's not looking at a woman who's like dying of thirst and saying, but I've got spiritual things that are better than your physical things. She can just put her bucket into that well anytime she wants and get the physical water, mm -hmm. right? And so mm -hmm. it's, it's not like he's looking at a suffering person and meeting her spiritual needs and neglecting her physical needs. Right. He's meeting her in a conversation while her physical needs are being met very easily. And yet he's very quickly just saying, hey, can we talk about something deeper than this? And I think, I think one thing that separates this conversation from the ones we have in our neighborhood is Jesus, like we've said this entire time, his relationship with this woman is remarkable. She's someone who would think, no man would ever want to talk to me. No Jewish man would ever want to talk to me. And it's already blowing her mind that he's in this conversation. And so he is just offering her a conversation, which is already blowing her mind, but in the conversation, he's offering her ways that he can meet her spiritual needs, that he can fulfill those promises instantly. And he is not beating around the bush. He's just saying, Hey, I came all the way here. 
I didn't need to come to Samaria. I had to go through Samaria, right? I came all the way here because I have something for you and I'd like to give it to you. And so then she gets into this conversation around where to worship and and a couple interpretations of that, right? Is it is she deflecting, right? She doesn't want to talk about the husband issue. And so she's like, let's talk about some theological questions, right? <laughs> or is she earnest, right? She's saying, hey, well, you're a prophet, which is true. Um, or I would guess part of what she could be doing is she's still stuck on the fact that we're too different. You shouldn't be offering me this stuff. Don't you understand these social constructs? Jewish people don't talk to Samaritan people. And she's trying to remind him, listen, you sound like you're a prophet. Let me remind you, we are very different theologically and you should not be trying to offer me things, right? Mm -hmm. What what do you like? We, we worship in different places. We're too different. And then Jesus comes and I love what he does is he escalates it and says, he doesn't get involved in her theological questioning, but he's the type of prophet who's above the other prophets and says, let me tell you what both the Samaritan and the Jewish prophets have been incomplete in. There's a time coming where something greater is going to happen. That's going to unify all of this together under one person. And she finds out later that person is him. Yeah. The woman closes out the conversation asking, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declares, and this is one of the times where Jesus outright says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he, I am the Christ. John four, uh, verse 26 there. And what's interesting about the, the well motif that we've been following is that, uh, yeah, somebody draws water at some point, and then there's usually the, the woman goes and returns somewhere and runs and shares the news. And then there's like a feast. And what's interesting is the John four passage kind of hits on both, but like subverts each and every one. So the first one, uh, did they ever draw water? I don't know, because in verse 28, it says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So it seems like she leaves her water jug behind to go and run and tell them the good news. So then you have the disciples talking about food. And it seems like Jesus takes the same route in that conversation where it says, hey, you're worried about this material food. Let me tell you about this this true spiritual nourishment that I can provide. And that kind of hits on the meal. And then finally, it's this celebration where the Samaritans actually come to Jesus having heard what the woman, the woman's testimony, and they start to believe in Jesus. And it's just this beautiful scene. And so we're going to wrap up this conversation by talking about one of the themes you talked about. You titled the sermon, You're Invited to Explore God. And you talked about, man, it felt like this woman at the well had thousands and thousands of different excuses. Jesus cuts right through them. He introduces himself to her and uh, she's forever changed because of it. And so as we wrap up this You're Invited series with You're Invited to Explore God, how do you pray our church has been transformed by this these simple invitations of Jesus to, you know, get better, to, to be healed, to uh, take your, your faith into your neighborhood, to take your faith into your workplace, and now to explore God? And Maybe give us a sneak peek of what's ahead with this upcoming Explore God series as we uh, talk about these different things. Yeah, I think the when I think about all these different concepts we've talked about in the series, I think the the common thread I keep seeing is that word invitation. This idea that 
sometimes we look at sharing our faith in our neighborhood or being a Christian in the workplace feels like a mandate or like a drudgery. But what I'm seeing as I look at these different passages and, and think about what these different guest speakers brought to us is I picture that God is just waiting to come with you wherever you go. Hmm. So it's, you have this sense that, man, there's this thing in my life that, that needs to change. And, and I have this sense that God is saying, well, do you want to get well? Let's partner together. Let's figure this thing out. Right. I picture God is saying, Hey, if, if you want to be, if you want to see my presence made known in your neighborhood, let's do it. Let's get to know some neighbors. Let's figure yeah. it out together. Right. Like it's almost like God wants to go with you into the workplace and he's got work for you to do there. That's different than what you imagine because he's going to do it. But he's saying, I, let's go, let's go together. And so even here, I just, I love this story because it kind of, like you mentioned in the last question, the skeptics question kind of breaks out of the box what we normally think, right? We think if I want to go reach someone, I got to build a relationship, I need to do all this thing. Sometimes the guy just puts you in this conversation where everything just starts to fall into place. And that's what happens with the woman of the well. I was thinking when you were sharing about uh, a friend of mine in high school uh, was invited a buddy to church and they ended up going on this Mexico missions trip together. And, and they're on the bus, the three crosses church bus going down to Mexico. One guy's a believer in Jesus. The other friend is not a believer in Jesus. And, uh, and my buddy just feels compelled to ask his non-Christian friend. He's like, Hey, are you going to heaven or hell when you die? And the, the buddy goes, well, I'm going to heaven, I think. And my buddy, I do not recommend this. My buddy just <laughs>, laughs at him and says, no, you're not. You're going to hell, man. And just like points at him and laughs. Right. And his friend was like cut to the heart and said, well, how do I go to heaven? He's like, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And he led him to Christ on the bus. He's a believer to this day, right? Wow. And he wow. remembers yeah. that was like, I do not recommend laughing at your friends and telling them they're going to hell, <laughs> but it worked in that moment. It's like, that's how God opened the door. And so I look at this story, not as one like, hey, you should go to the local watering hole and just go up to women you don't know that you have nothing in common with and start offering them living water in this weird cryptic language. That's a weird way to do evangelism. <laughs> I don't think that's what we learn here. But I think one thing that we do learn here is that when God sets up these divine appointments, we call sometimes, sometimes he just takes over and he meets people's needs as he just works through you. And so don't be surprised if you're in the workplace and somebody comes up to you and asks you a question that you never think they would ask. Even for me, right after I preached the sermon on uh, just being in your neighborhood and, and befriending questionable people on the relationships I had with my neighbors, I got home from church and my neighbor, who I hadn't talked to in a couple months, walked right over to me and he said, Danny, he said, you didn't preach the Bible right at church this morning. And I'm like starting to sweat because I talked about him a lot at church this morning. And and if you remember the, the day I preached on it, that's when the hurricane was coming through. It was all humid and hot. And uh, I'm like, oh, what do you mean? He said, he's like, it's so hot here. Obviously, you didn't preach the hell out of Castor Valley enough. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, you did listen to my sermon. And, and he's like, hey, you want to come over later and hang out in my backyard? And I'm like, yeah, man, I do. And I'm thinking like, this was too easy. I just That's preached awesome. a sermon on how I need to get to know my neighbor better and all these missed opportunities. And he literally walks up to me after church, makes a joke about my sermon he didn't listen to that was about himself, and then invites me over to his house. And I'm thinking, this is too easy, right? So sometimes it's too easy, but you're invited to partner with God and he will be 
he will surprise you sometimes with how easy he makes it. And obviously sometimes you're going to be frustrated and sad and tired too, but um, be willing to partner with him. And as we move into this Explore God series, uh, that's kind of the next step here is we're, we're just saying, you know what? There's some big questions that your friends will have. There's some big questions you might have, right? Next week, we're going to talk about is faith compatible with science, right? Now that we're at a place that we understand more about the world than we did thousands of years ago, do we still need the Bible? Do we still need faith? Has science made Christianity obsolete? That's a big question. We're going to tackle a lot of these questions over the next several weeks between now and Thanksgiving almost, and and just really lay out to bear some of the biggest questions that the people in our community are asking about Christianity, not merely so that we will be equipped to answer them when they ask, but so that we ourselves will have a reasonable defense for the things that we believe even in our own hearts, and so that you can invite folks along to church who are asking these questions or send these YouTube clips to them or send these podcasts to them. And we would love uh, to explore God, not just with you, listener, but with the friends that you know who are far from God. So some of these things we'll talk about, you should pass along because we're going to be hitting some deep questions. And AJ, do you want to tell them a little bit about what's going to happen on the podcast or in Explore God? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, th- I just think it's such a beautiful uh, way to think about this text in John 4 of just this like this marriage of not only, you know, literal two humans coming together, but people coming together and, and meeting the Messiah here and, and finding Jesus. And so um, that's kind of our, our dream with exploring God is we know there's a lot of people out there that are um, being invited to different things. And so as we're being invited into those opportunities, we want to equip you guys to be able to have discussions around these sort of topics. And so this Explore God series was birthed um, through TBC and we partnered with them. It's a Bay Area wide study. Uh, We took their content, we made it our own and we tried to get into your guys' shoes and say, hey, if you are talking at dinner with your neighbor, um, what kind of questions are the ones that are gonna come up the most? And so we tried to nail down, I think 11 questions and uh, we also know that, you know, just dumping knowledge on you is one way to do it, but another way to do it is learning in community and having these conversations. So if you go to threecrosses.church slash explore God, uh, you'll see the topic of the week pop up and you are able to submit any questions that you or your neighbors have. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to debrief on those questions on Wednesday nights. So our community nights are on Wednesday nights. We're going to have our Explore God group meeting in the sanctuary on Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 8. A great opportunity to invite your friends, to invite anybody you would like, uh, because it's not only going to be a panel of us talking, but it's going to be a chance for uh, you guys to talk amongst one another about these topics. And so, um, yeah, we're excited about the season ahead. Uh, if explore God isn't your thing, there's always rooted. We got the go project launching. We got parents, we got all sorts of stuff. There's a lot of communities happening. So check out uh, three crosses church slash community nights. That's community nights. And so pastor Danny, I'm so excited. The podcast is actually going to be the recording of our conversations of Explore God on Wednesday nights, which I know, Danny, you're going to be a part of, and we're going to have a couple of guest speakers all the time. So um, yeah, we encourage you to check out that Explore God series. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy the discussions, the content that we give you guys. So um, Pastor Danny, thanks for leading us into the Explore God and listeners, I will... 
be in and out of the podcast. So uh, enjoy the conversations on the Explore God content. So Pastor Danny, thanks again for this year invited series. Oh, it's my pleasure. I can't wait to explore God together with you all.